Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you so much tonight for your word, that it would speak to our hearts, that it would encourage us, that it would grow us, that it would challenge us, Lord, to be more like you. We thank you for who you are and all that you do in our lives. Thank you for your presence here tonight. Holy Spirit, have right of way in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's really good to be here with you tonight. Um, Pastor Alex had the idea about a series of life lessons, and at first I thought he was coming up with a series of life lessons, but then I found out kind of by default, nope, you're up next week, and it's like, oh, okay. And so I talked with them and what they're doing, and um, I can tell you that there are more than four life lessons in the Word of God but we're trying to pick the big ones. And so last week, Pastor Alex talked about the presence of God and the importance of that in our lives. And um, if you've ever experienced the manifest presence of God, where you really sense him like in worship or prayer, um, or he speaks to you through his word, or someone speaks something to you that encourages you, you know how powerful the presence of God is. And so I thought about the different life lessons, and um, Pastor John and Pastor Andrew already picked two, um, one of which I thought I would do. So I kept thinking about it, kept praying about it, and um, God spoke to me something that has been oftentimes for me a struggle. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I've been very victorious because of you in this area. And so we're talking about the golden rule tonight. And while the words golden rule are not actually in scripture, we find that concept taught throughout the Bible. Basically, the scripture that we most associate with it is Matthew 7, 12. So wherever you wish, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And it is also in Luke 6. And so basically, the golden rule is be nice to people. The law, the Ten Commandments, are in two sections. The first four are how we treat God and our relationship with him, and the last six are how we interact and our relationship with each other, with people. And so God is very serious about this. This is important to him. The way we treat others is vital. And then it says, and the law and the prophets, the prophets declared the will of God. And see, in the Old Testament, Mostly only the prophets got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on them, and then they spoke what God spoke to them, to God's people. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant with Jesus, once we accept Christ into our hearts, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we have him with us. And so the Holy Spirit teaches us, he guides us, he corrects us, he nurtures us, he comforts us. He does all the things that we need because Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you alone. We're sending the Holy Spirit. And so we have that, that comfort that God is with us all the time. Holy Spirit is not a lesser part of God. He is very much powerful, very much a part of the Godhead and very important to us. So when we read in the Old Testament, there's lots of hygiene rules and interacting rules and rules on sacrifices. There are a lot of um, guidelines and rules that God says, this is how I want you to do this. But especially when you read the, the laws, the rules of living, pretty much they're talking about how our actions affect others. So again, that's very important to God. How we interact with other people is extremely important to God. Then we have the um, example of Jesus in the New Testament. His whole life was one of service. That's what he did. He came to serve us. Ultimately, he served people throughout his walk on the earth, 30 some odd years. But the ultimate service was his sacrifice of his perfect life and the shedding of his blood on the cross for us. And we can look at that and say, that's how much God loves me. And that's how much God loves other people. I need to be nice. 
And that's of oversimplification, be nice. We're going to talk about lots of detail of what that looks like. But um, Jesus knew that he was facing a horrible death. He knew what was coming. And he even prayed and said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, your will. And he served us throughout his life and ultimately in his death. And then in his resurrection and ascension, because scripture tells us that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. What an amazing God we serve. He is so good to us and he loves us so much. But we have to remember that he loves others the same way he loves us. Unconditionally. And so he's asking us to do the same with others. So we all want to be treated well. We all want to be treated with respect and dignity and honor and kindness. But sometimes it's so hard to be that, to treat people that way, especially when they're difficult, when they annoy us. Oftentimes people annoy us because they're not like us. And so they have an opinion that differs from us. They have a way of living that differs from us. But that does not mean that they are lesser. That means they are still loved equally by God. And so it is a difficult thing. And that is why God commands it, because it doesn't come naturally to us. But he knows that he empowers us to do it. So at first he commands. He's, so God is serious about how we treat others. Mark 12, 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And this was his reply. And he said, there's nothing greater than loving each other. There is nothing more important than our love for God and others. And our actions display the measure of love that we have. John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He wants us to treat others as he has treated us. That's a tall order. John 13, 35, and 36. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And that emphasis is mine. But he is saying to us that this is a big part of our testimony. This is a big part of how we win people to Christ is by how we treat them. I had someone say to me probably a year or more ago, if that's who Jesus is, talking about someone who was saved, if that's who Jesus is, I don't want any part of him. And that hurt my heart to hear that because I want to be a good example of who Jesus is. And that doesn't mean that we just excuse sin and we let sin just go and we, you know, but, but our job is to love them long enough for the Holy Spirit to change them. Our job is to show them who God is and how much he loves and his willingness to die for us. Our job is to demonstrate that through our actions because then people see it and they say, I want that. That's our job. So in Philippians 2.3, it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Ouch. <laughs> I mean, you read that and you go, Lord, you want, someone, you want me to treat people more significant than me? Like, who's going to watch out for number one then if I'm not? Well, ultimately, who has our back? God. Like, the, the creator of everything, the God of the universe so we don't have to look out for number one. It's such a current cultural thing that we're doing. Oh, we got to look out for number one because no one else will. There was, there's a commercial that absolutely vexes me. There's a girl and she's eating, I don't know if it's yogurt or if it's ice cream. She's eating something and she's like meditating, doing yoga. And she's on top of this cart that's going through like a park. And it's stacked with books and it says, good for you, self-love. You're feeding yourself good food and you're meditating and, and you're reading romance novels and good for you. You got to take care of you. And while the cart is going down the road, all these papers, trash are flying off the books and leaving a path of just a mess. And I thought, it's so our society. Like, I can't stand that commercial because it's like she, the only thing that matters is her. Nobody else matters on the earth, and it's so not the heart of God. Um, so here's some examples. First of all, how do we treat each other? We're called to love and serve fellow Christians. Matthew 18, 21 through 22, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. You know, you got to love Peter, man. The brother's like just, I relate to him, okay? Like he's thinking, okay, I'm going to ask the Lord how I forgive. And I am going to use a perfect number seven. And I'm, and I'm so holy and so pious that I could forgive seven times. He's thinking he's so righteous. And he goes to Jesus and he goes, how many times, Lord, should I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus goes, no. How about 70 times seven? And Peter's blown out of the water. Like, I can imagine what that felt like to have the Lord basically rebuke you and say, no, you don't have this down yet. Seven is not enough. You need to just forgive. And so, you know, we, we struggle with that, but we want to be forgiven when we need it. 70 times seven. And so we need to be doing this in the strength of God, forgiving and loving. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, my emphasis. But he is telling us to walk in unity in the spirit, and then we'll have the bond of peace. And so it, it's, it's like it's a total package. If we will walk in unity, even when we disagree with one another, um, we have differences. In this room is many political opinions, many um, uh, ministry opinions, many scripture opinions, and sometimes we just have to agree to disagree. I think it was Morgan Freeman that said, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. We need to relearn that in this society. And so, okay, I don't agree with your whatever, your opinion on this or your view on this. Okay, I don't agree. This is what I believe. Sometimes I've said to people, you know, I haven't studied it out enough. I don't know if I agree with you or not. I have to study that out. But when you do that respectfully, you can walk in unity because it's like your opinion is valuable. Your opinion matters and you're entitled to it. You know, some people say, well, you're entitled to be wrong. I had someone say that to me one time. Well, they're entitled to be wrong. And I said, that's a really arrogant statement. How do you know they're wrong? Like none of us has the corner on the market of truth. Only Jesus, only God knows the whole truth. None of us knows the whole truth. And so in that knowledge, we have to understand, like I can tell you that I strongly disagree with myself from 20 years ago on some things. I, I really disagree with myself. Things that I thought, that I taught, that I believed. And now I look back and go, what was I thinking? Thank God for his grace during our growth and our journey because he's for us, church. And he understands. Pastor John shared years ago that he was going through some of his old sermons from his early days of ministry. And he's like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And God spoke to him and said, hey, I had you then, I have you now. God chose to partner with us. Our imperfections, our flaws, our craziness and all. He said, I want to partner with you. I don't want to do this by myself. I want to partner with you. And you look at that and you think, wow, Lord, I don't know if that's really the wise thing to do because I can be pretty undependable. And he goes, no, I got you. And we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us. So even if we do have something wrong, which every one of us believes something wrong because we don't have the whole truth. We don't have complete understanding of who God is in the scriptures. We're learning. And as long as we're drawing breath, we're learning who he is. And perhaps in eternity we are. Um, so we have to bear with one another to maintain unity. And we must be eager to maintain it. We have to set ourselves aside. That is so hard to do, especially when everything in society is screaming to look out to, for number one. Galatians 5, 14 and 15, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Ultimately, ultimately, the law is fulfilled in how we treat who God loves. God did not die for a system. He didn't die for a building. He didn't die for money. He died for people. People are what matter to God. We do not always have to be right. We just need to love. And so he wants us to love even really difficult people and even people who have hurt us deeply. We had a conversation in our uh, Tuesday noon women's Bible study. 
and Pastor John's sermon this weekend, you know, it brought up a lot of things about our heart, the condition of our heart. And one of the ladies shared that she had something happen to her and it still brings pain. Like she thought of it in the sermon and she said, it still hurts me. And I said, you know, I've had some experiences like that in my life. And what I learned was I had to say, I choose to forgive. Even if I'm not feeling it at the time, I choose to forgive. Declare it, declare something that isn't as though it is because there's power in our words. And so when we're struggling, when the thought of that person comes up or that situation, you just say, God, I choose to forgive because I trust you in this. You have my back. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. I guess in godly competition, everybody wins, huh? He's telling us to outdo one another in showing honor. Like, I don't know that I've ever really tried to do that. <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh, there's something I got to work on. Like, I got to really go out of my way to show honor. And there have been times that the Spirit has spoken to me about somebody that I needed to honor. But I don't, like, make it a mission to race and make the do the best in honoring. I, I haven't done that. And so I thought about it. I thought, wow, and when we do that, when everyone does that, everybody wins. There's no losers in, losers in that race. So Romans 15, 1 and 2, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Our obedience and the way we treat others builds others up. As we mature, we become the strong that that scripture is talking about by practicing the ways of God. But even mature Christians need to be built up at times. When we do this for each other, everyone wins. When we support others, we get the support we need. It's a win-win. There's a story in the Old Testament with the children of Israel, and Moses is the leader. And we all know that Moses struggled, but he was a strong leader. He was a godly leader. He was definitely human. And so he's standing on a hill. While the children of Israel are fighting the enemy, and as long as he had his arms raised in praise to God, the um, Israeli army was winning. But he got tired. His arms got tired, and he had to put them down. And so when his arms went down, then the Israelites were losing. And so Aaron and her, his ministry partners and his friends, came alongside of him and held his arms up for him. So Moses, a great leader, still had a moment of weakness. He couldn't hold his arms up. And so people came alongside of him and helped him. That is what it looks like. Sometimes we may be really mature Christians. Uh, you know, I think the majority of our staff, the, 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 us oldies, have been saved like over 40 years. So between us, we have a lot of years of salvation and ministry. And yet there are times that we're weak and we need support and we need to know that someone loves us. And thank God for... Um, this congregation, I can tell you there have been many times that people have loved me and supported me and held my arms up when I was weak. And so when we are in fellowship and when we are together, gathered together, that's how we know when there's a need and that's how we can love each other, honor each other and meet that need and not sit in judgment. Oh, wow. I thought you were saved 40 years. Okay. Yeah. But life is kicking my butt right now and I need help. And it's not, it's not a shame to say that. Life is kicking my butt, and I need your help. And that's what we should be doing for one another. Um, Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Again, everyone wins because God's solution is perfect. Think about it. It's perfect. If we're all doing this, everybody's needs are met. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He wants us to look for ways to help one another. And it's critical that we meet together in worship and fellowship. There is, that's where we find those that are struggling and we can help. And this is pretty much what I just said. In Ephesians 4, 29 and 32, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Wow, the Holy Spirit's grieved when we mistreat others. In this passage, the Apostle Paul reminds us of what God did for us, his sacrificial love and his forgiveness. In Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We must love at all times and be there for each other in hard times. God gave us each other for love and support because this world can be tough. I've often thought, Lord, why didn't you just like save us and rapture us to heaven immediately? Like, why'd you leave us here to deal with all this? And he said, because you have a mission. The, the reconciliation of the world, like you have to reach people. You got reached, and I want you to reach others. I don't want you to go away. I want to spend eternity with you, but for now, I want you to work with me and partner with me in, in taking care of people. First um, Timothy 5, 1 through 2, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So respect for others is vital. We're different, okay? Sometimes we just don't get each other. Uh, it's funny to in counseling or listening to people in ministry, it's like, oh, man, I just don't understand why that generation, why they just can't do blank. And it's like, because it, it's a struggle for them. They don't get it or they don't like it. Like technology. Well, they don't get it and they don't want to get it. <laughs> so you can judge that, or you can be kind and say, all right, well, I'll give them a phone call. Gasp, like actually take five minutes and, and, and call somebody. You know, like the younger generation is like, what? No way, I don't ever talk on the phone, I just text. And it's like, okay, I get that. And so the older generation says, oh my gosh, they're so rude and they don't, blah. somewhere we have to bridge that gap. We have to be an understanding of one another. The older generation says, you know what? I like to send cards. I like to make phone calls. That's what I like to do. Well, thank God for you. And then the younger generation says, no, I'm just going to text her. She knows I love her. Okay, that's the way they express themselves. So instead of sitting in judgment of that, say, okay, that's where we are today. That's where I'm at. That's where you're at. We're both good. You send me cards, I'll send you texts. If you don't receive texts, I'll send you cards. I'll get over myself and send you cards because that's your language. That's how you want to work. See, that's what God is saying to us. Instead of getting mad and upset and not understanding, and we have to walk in unity. We have to bridge the gap. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So this is saying respect our spiritual leaders and our co-laborers, those that we work together with in the ministry. Peace comes much easier when we do that. That is the promise of God. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. I know this is a lot of scripture, but I really, the scripture's full of this, so it this isn't even a fraction of what there is about this topic. First um, John 4, 20, 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So I think God means what he says. He's telling us that you tell me you love me, but you're not loving your brother. So you really don't love me. Now, I did get a little bit of a chuckle as I read that scripture. I said, Lord, sometimes it's easier to love people that we don't see. When we don't see them, it's easier to love them. So I don't know if like loving the brother that I see is really all that easy because sometimes he's annoying or she's annoying and I want them to not be seen. Do we all relate to that? I mean, that's just honest truth. Man, I, I, I would really like for you to be unseen right now. Oh. Oh, God is so good. Amen. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony.
Wow, we get to be bound together in perfect harmony if we choose to put on love, if we choose to walk in forgiveness, patience, and bearing with one another. The reality is every one of us has flaws, and some people's flaws are more annoying to us. God says, it's not about you. I love them enough to die for them, and I want you to work on that. With my help, he's not throwing us to the wolves to do this all by ourselves. Thank God, because it's not going to be in my strength. And then how do we treat everyone, even our enemies? We are called to love the world, even the seemingly unlovable. And there are a lot of them, huh? A lot of what we think are unlovable, and yet Jesus died for them. So who are we to say that they're not lovable? Jesus said, I love them enough to die for them. And it's like, okay, Lord, I'll work on that, okay? I'm trying. Uh, Luke 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Okay, Lord, I've heard enough. <laughs> to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. There's that golden rule again. This is a tough one. I'm like, I'm being honest. As I'm reading this, I'm going, ah, Lord, I don't think I want to preach this because I'm really struggling. And he's going, that's why I want you to preach it because I want you to be honest about your struggle. And then I want you to get real and obey me. And I'm like, but God is perfecting us. He's commanded us to do this and he honors it when we do it. He is perfecting us. We are not yet perfect. We are not there but we should be taking steps toward being more Christ-like. This should be a, a conscious part of our journey. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 to 15, strive for peace with everyone and for the homeliness without which no one will see the Lord. So whose holiness do we take on? Obviously we take on Jesus's because our righteousness is filthy rags. So we're in trouble if we're not taking on you know, who, who God is. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. First of all, it does take work. But secondly, it's sobering, because I thought about it. We, what we do, the way we treat others, can affect their relationship with God. That's some pretty serious stuff. It's like, Lord, I don't want to be part of someone else's stumble. I don't want to be part of that. I want to be someone who lifts up and encourages and catches them in their stumble and helps them and lifts them up. But it's not easy. Amen. Matthew 25, 40. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. God cares about the least of these. We should too, because how well we love others is a direct reflection of how well we love God. James 2, 1 through 4. My brothers, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So when we... Our society is, has a lot of idol worship people, you know, things. When we look more favorably on wealthy, popular people that we deem, you know, awesome, um, then we set ourselves up, up as judges. And this passage goes on to say that the good ones that we admire, they are often the ones that mistreat us. And so think about some of the, you know, the stars and the ball players and the different people that we just go, oh. And then we find out they have feet of clay, and some of them are just downright nasty. And they're mean to people, and they don't treat people well, and they're just sassy and nasty. And yet we look up to them like there's something great, because they can toss a ball across a field, or they can pretend that there's something that they're not. Woohoo! That's an actor. Yay. Okay, you're good at that. 
how do I know who you really are? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like we, we have this convoluted and this distorted view of what's to be admired and what isn't. And, and God says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't really know them. And you've made a judgment based on the outward appearance. And that's dangerous. So Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I have to chuckle with this because God says, if possible. So he really does get us, okay? He, you know, he's looking at us going, if possible. And he's saying, but I'm the one that empowers you, so it really is possible. But he's saying, you don't do it in your own strength. You've got to have me. So thank God for that. So he does empower us, and this is the, this is the, the hope here. Um, we have a commandment. We have a, a, um, a directive from the Lord on how to treat people, and I'm with you. I just go, holy cow, I don't do that very well. I don't know that I want to because I don't want to be nice to them because they're mean to me. You know, all that stuff that goes through your mind. It's like, and, but that person really hurt me, and um, they were wrong. They may have been but there's still someone Jesus died for. And so he's telling us, I understand it's difficult to love when you've been hurt. But Jesus on the cross, after the horrible beating and mocking and all the things that they did to him, and then finally nailed him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Wow, what a powerful thing that we should forgive because sometimes people just don't know. And even if they do, they're not hearing from God if they're doing things that hurt us. And so we just have to pray, God, bless them, okay? So the thing about blessing, um, I believe it was Pastor Ron Simpkins was here a couple, three years ago, and he preached a sermon on blessing. And he talked about praying for people and asking God to bless them. And so we, I don't know about you, but I get a mental picture of God give them everything they want, make them really happy, like where they, they don't have any problems, blah, 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 and make their life just a bed of roses. And then it's like, I don't want to pray that for somebody that's nasty and mean to me. And, you know, so that's the, the inner struggle. But blessing is not, oh, God, give them a million dollars, and oh, God, give them a Rolls Royce and give them this. That's not what blessing is. God's blessing is meeting our needs. And so if our needs are a healed heart, maybe they're mean because they're broken and they're hurt. Or maybe, God, maybe their need to be blessed is to, to, for the Spirit of God to deal with them. And, and bring them to, to repentance. Maybe blessing is reconciling them with someone they love that they're um, you know, estranged from. Who knows? That's not our call. Our call, our charge is to pray blessing and then to allow God to do his work. Because the Holy Spirit, there was a time in my life I had started, um, I took over women's ministries. And boy, that was a challenge. I love women, but I'm telling you, sometimes they, they just can be difficult. And so women's ministries was a little difficult. There were some things going on. And so I was finally crafting sermons where I was going to kind of let them have it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, check your motive at the door. Why are you going to say that? I'm like, well, you know, they're not walking right and they're this and they're. And the Holy Spirit said, stop trying to do my job. That's my job. Your job is to pray for them and love them long enough for them to respond to me. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to bed now. <laughs> it was like, I just got a good hit in the nose. It is like, okay, Lord, I need to just go to bed for a while and recover from that punch. And then when I obeyed him and I began to pray instead of being all self-righteous about how I was going to deal with sin in their lives, lo and behold, they started changing. They were listening to the Holy Spirit. God was blessing them with what they needed. And as a result, it blessed me because I walked in obedience. I walked in humbleness and meekness that I didn't really want to, honestly, because I wanted to just make this right. But the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. You, don't you dare take my words and hurt my people. I was like, okay. And so that was a big lesson for me early in that type of ministry. And so... I had to learn, and I'm still learning, how to treat others well, how to look to others and, and um, honor them. So Matthew 6, 14 through 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So that's pretty straightforward. Forgive, be forgiven. 
Okay. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back. I like God's measuring stick. It's full of grace and mercy. And I want to use that same measuring stick with those around me. Um, we can't outgive God. When we give, he blows our minds, and he gives far more than we can imagine, above all that we can ask or think, which is Ephesians 20. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So through our surrender, through our self-sacrifice, to our um, yes to God, through that, he teaches us and he, <laughs> he teaches us his perfect will. Like how many of you have ever said, God, like why am I here? And what's your will? And I don't even know what I'm called to. And what do I do, Lord? If we will surrender and serve and be holy and acceptable to God and not conform to the world, he will teach us what his perfect will is overall and individually because he's such a good God. And he loves us with an everlasting love. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. He promises to bless us when we walk his way. We are called to bless, not repay. Bless and be blessed. And in Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we renounce ungodliness and he purifies us. As, um, why can't I think of the actor's name? In uh, Dances with Wolves, Kevin Costner. The, the Indian that took his hat, I think he took his hat and then um, he gave Costner a piper. I don't remember what the trade was, but he looked at him and said, good trade. And so in all reality, this is a good trade. We give up our ungodliness and he purifies us. Thank God. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our calling, church. This is why we are left here on the earth after salvation. This is what we're called to do, is to reconcile those that are not yet reconciled. And we, he, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's giving them that authority. He's giving us that authority to walk in his strength, walk in his holiness, and see people reconciled to him. That's what we're called to do. And when we love well, people respond to that because that means something to them. They want love. They want acceptance. They want to know that somebody cares about them. And when we demonstrate that to them, then they see Jesus with skin on. They need that. And we needed it. Didn't you need that? I needed that desperately at a, a horrible time in my life when it, I was in such a dark place. And somebody told me Jesus loved me. And I was in a store and I was kind of annoyed. It's like, yeah, whatever. But that stuck with me. Like I kind of mocked it and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, go away. Okay, Jesus loves me, blah, blah, blah. Like that doesn't help me right now, okay? But it did. Because it was the word of God and it was telling me in a dark, dark time when I felt very worthless that Jesus loved me. 
I was like, okay, Lord. And so when I responded to that, that's when God began to stir in me this stuff. And this is a journey. This is not, we're not at perfection. We're in a journey. But this is what God is telling us. This is what I want you to do. I want you to love well. Matthew 5, 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven because sons mimic their father. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same thing. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. So, you know, even the Pharisees, the nasty religious leaders that Jesus called all kinds of things, they were nice to each other. It was probably mostly because of what they got out of the relationship, but they were nice. Um, so we're called to show others who we are and who God is by how we treat people. Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So there was a time in my life that this passage hit me pretty good. I was actually in the prayer room reading. I remember the moment. As soon as I read that, I said, be kind to the ungrateful and I was dealing with someone at that time in my life that was very ungrateful. And I had done a lot for them, and they were complaining, and they even slandered me. And it's like, oh, I don't want to be kind to them. They're jerks. Like, why would I be kind to them? They're a jerk. Like, they've been mean to me, Lord. Like, why would I do that? And it really made me mad. Like, I'm just being honest with them, sitting in the prayer room arguing with God. And the Holy Spirit said to me, this is what I'm calling you to do. You need to let me handle this situation. And it's like, ooh, I want to handle this situation. I was really mad. But thank God I got over it. He empowered me to walk in godliness and to repent of my unforgiveness and my hate. And uh, he's, he, he loved me through it. And thank God. <laughs> I was not happy about that. So thankfully, he does the work. So how do we really do this seemingly impossible task? Because it really is a big task when you think about it. And if you're dealing with somebody right now, you're sitting here going, Lord, I don't even see how. How can I do this? And he's saying, you don't, I do. You surrender to my way. You say yes, Lord, and then I empower it, and I do it. So how do we do it? First of all, we need to quit looking at others' flaws, work on our own. Matthew 7, 3 through 5, classic scripture. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? The mental picture of that's hilarious. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. So that seems pretty harsh, but um, we really need to pay attention to it, because the reality is we can't change others. We have no ability to change others. So we have to change ourselves. We have to allow God, with God's help, we change. And then we pray blessing. God bless them. Bless them with what they need. I don't have to know what it is, but you do. And I'm praying for them. Um, John 8, 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So this story is the woman caught in adultery. And um, I, I, I have some interesting ponderings about this story. First of all, where's the guy? You know, like you read the story and you're like, you know, adultery does take two. So where's the dude? Well, especially in that society, that was just the way it went. And it was probably, honestly, a setup. They probably actually set her up because they were looking to set Jesus up all the time. All the time they were questioning him to test him and trip him up and get him in trouble. And he blew their minds every time. This is no different. So they say the law says she should be stoned. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you know that Jesus wrote that law, right? Like he's the God that wrote that law. He is that law. And so really among them, the only one who was out without sin was Jesus. So he could have stoned her because he was the one that was sinless. He said, first one that can throw a stone is the one who has no sin. 
And of course they all walked away because they couldn't dare say that they had no sin because that's like blasphemy. So they couldn't do that. And so they had to all walk away. And so Jesus chose mercy. We are called to the same. And so Jesus didn't say to her, okay, you can go on and do your thing. Keep going, keep doing your thing. No, he said to her, where are your accusers? And she said, I have none, Lord. And he said, I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. He does call us to godliness. He doesn't allow us to just keep sinning because, well, we got grace. You know, Galatians says, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And so he did call her to righteousness, but he also showed her great mercy. And he protected her and he had her back. And that is who God is for us. No matter what the situation is we're dealing with, God has our back. So we don't have to be so self-protective. That is a natural thing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't protect ourselves and just be somebody that everybody can abuse. That's not what scripture is saying either. But it is saying, if you will walk this way, I will help you. I'm not calling you to this to do it by yourself. And so we need to acknowledge our dependence on him. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. That's God's truth. His love came first. It's perfect. And so now we model it in his strength. Again, journey, lifelong journey. But we strive to love perfectly, more, more and more like him. That our love and the way we treat people looks more and more like the way Jesus does. Um, 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he recognizes that we're children. He also knows that we have, a, have weakness because he made us. He knows what we're made of. And he knows that we need him and we overcome because of who he is. He's such a good God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. He strengthens us so we can live the golden rule. First Chronicles 16.11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Wow. Seek the Lord continually. We shouldn't stop. He'll speak to you, and it will always be awesome. Through the seeking, we find his strength to do all he is calling us to do. And 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. We honor, glorify, and ultimately love God when we serve others well. We also have to surrender willingly. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the promise of the Holy Spirit to us. Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit is with us and in us. and We have to allow him through our surrender and obedience to do the work of God. First John three eighteen, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We cannot pay lip service like the Pharisees and parade around for show. We have to do it in truth, God's truth through surrender. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever we go, that's quite a promise. We are never, ever alone. He is with us always. Isaiah 41.10, fear not. So, so God's telling us not to fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The God of all creation is holding us up. Like we couldn't, we couldn't find a better way to, to be victorious in this life because he really does the work and he is there for us. He supports us. When Moses' arms were weak and were coming down. And, and Aaron and her came up next to him and, and held his arms up. Aaron and her were doing the work, not Moses. Aaron and her were holding up his arms that he could no longer hold up. That is what God does for us. He holds us up in our weakness and he acknowledges that he understands our weakness. He understands if possible, like he even says, look, I get it. I get you. I made you. I understand you. I know this is hard, but I want you to do it. And so I'm not leaving you alone to do this. I'm telling you to do it, but I'm not leaving you alone. I will help you if you will let me. 
through our surrender. Um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We ask, he helps. And he delights in giving us all that we need and even some of what we want. Thank God. Sometimes I've wanted things that weren't necessarily a need, but it's like, Lord, that'd be really nice. And lo and behold, he does it because he delights in blessing his children. He loves us. He's a perfect father. And, you know, we're taking baby steps towards God in this. And and sometimes days it's more difficult than others. But when we're taking steps toward God, he delights in that. No matter how small the step is toward him, he delights. Think about when our children are learning how to walk. And they take that wobbly first step and then they land on their bottom. Do we get mad at them because they didn't keep walking? Oh my gosh, what do you call that? That wasn't a step, that was a wobble. Like, what was that? You stumbled forward, you didn't walk. Do we do that? No. And we're not perfect parents. So we, why do we think that God looks at us and goes, well, what the heck was that? Like, that was lame. Why do you, I, that's, I don't even want to bother with you. You're just, you're ridiculous. Why do we think that God is like that with us? He loves us. And if he loved me enough when I mocked him and didn't live for him and didn't know him, he loved me enough to die for me then, then he loves me now. And so remember that. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. Sometimes he's disappointed for us because we're settling for less than what he has for us. But he's never disappointed in us. He loves us. Perfect father. Um, and he's not bothered when we ask over and over because this can be a struggle. And sometimes it's 70 times seven a day. It's like, Lord, I need your help with this. I really like, I need your help. He is not bothered by that. He's, he loves us. He wants to help us. Um, Deuteronomy 31, six, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord, your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. There's where our courage and strength comes from. So in closing, we are not alone. God is with us. We cannot do this by ourselves. God empowers us. We want to be treated well. God wants us to treat others well. We want to be blessed. We are abundantly blessed when we honor God by honoring others. And so here's a little tongue-in-cheek closing from the great theologian Thumper. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for your word. You're so good. Lord, help us to live this out victoriously. We help us to surrender our hearts to you, to surrender our lives to you, to honor you with our words and to love others the way you love them. We know that our journey is imperfect, but you delight in our tiny steps toward you. Even if it's a stumble forward, God, you delight in it. So we thank you for this, God, that it would encourage our hearts and it would encourage us to love others the way we want to be loved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to my rambling. I loved putting this sermon together, and uh, the Holy Spirit kind of kicked my butt a few times, and, but it's a good thing. It's, it- Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.